the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. You can't rush what God wants to do. You've got to wait on God's timing. And we have to learn this. David was learning. You know, I'm waiting on the Lord with prayer, but I have to wait for the Lord with patience. Well, so it was, verse 16, when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Look what a tormented man he is, right? He can't decide whether he wants to kill this guy or hug this guy. Patience is something we all need to grow in, but it's probably something we will never master. Especially now, where we live in a world that is so fast-paced that there is hardly any time to pause and make time for the Lord. In today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage you to continue praying through your difficult seasons, but to be patient on His answer. God's timing will always outrule our timing because we don't have all the information. So trust that God has your best interest at heart while you're waiting. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 24 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Verse 8 says, David also arose afterward, went out of the cave and called out to Saul saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, now again, that's just respecting his elder, he's not really his father. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea? Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So this is, you know, a very honest thing that David is saying here to Saul. Um, He took a little bit of a risk. I mean, because now he's showing himself 
And Saul, if he was really bent on killing David, could have taken the opportunity to go ahead and kill him. But David uses the moment to say, look, do you realize, look, see, I got a piece of your, your robe in my hand that I cut off. I could have killed you, but I didn't. Because you're believing lies from people around you that somehow I'm, I'm here to overthrow you, and I'm not, you know. And he bows to the ground, and he calls him my Lord, small L, and he calls him my father, small, small F, that he's, he's just really respectful, even though this is the guy that's been trying to kill him. And, you know, David understands something. Even though he has been anointed as the next king of Israel by the prophet Samuel, when David was like 10 to 15, somewhere in that age range, he, he realizes that there's a waiting with the Lord. And so it, there's a, another principle out of this chapter from what David said there. Wait on the Lord with prayer. Wait for the Lord with patience. See, he, he was understanding what patience was with the Lord. God never operates, it seems, on our timetable, does he? But his timing is always perfect. And so there are things in your life that maybe you're waiting for and you're wondering why hasn't this happened or that happened and how long is God going to take before he answers this prayer. And, and, and yet God's timing is always perfect. But in our culture, because we want things so rapidly, you know, we have instant rice. We have, you know, you know, everything's instant now. Instant pudding, instant oatmeal. You know, I remember the day we used to, when you had to cook those things. And now, now you just like in a minute, it's all done for you. And so now we think that God's going to operate that same way like he does oatmeal. Like it doesn't work that way. Like God takes his time to do things according to his will and his timing. But his timing is always perfect. And to rush things often messes it up for us. Remember Abraham and Sarah? Like God had made a promise to Abraham and Sarah, which wouldn't happen for like another 25 years. And in the process, they're getting impatient. Sarah says, you know what? Uh, Abraham, you're not getting any younger. I'm not getting any younger. God doesn't seem to be bringing us a child. Maybe you should go ahead and sleep with my maidservant, Hagar. And Abraham, being the righteous man that he, does, that he is, he's just like, well, you know what? Sounds like a good idea to me. And so it's like, what? You know, wait, wait a minute. That's not what God had in mind. That's not what God had in mind. But, you know, he saw an opportunity and Sarah was all for it. So he took it. And then he and then out of that came Ishmael and Ishmael. And then later, when Sarah did conceive and Isaac was born, you had the whole conflict between Ishmael and Isaac. It's called the Middle East War. That's what's happening today because of that. So you, you can't rush what God wants to do. You got to wait on God's timing. And we have to learn this. David was learning it. You know, I'm waiting on the Lord with prayer, but I have to wait for the Lord with patience. Well, so it was, verse 16, when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Look what a tormented man he is, right? He can't decide whether he wants to kill this guy or hug this guy. And he's just, you know, now he's, he's weeping here. Verse 17, and then he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? 
And therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. Which, by the way, David had already sworn, but the next verse says, And so David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So they, they took refuge in, in the caves there, in that, in that vicinity, in that region. So, you know, this, th- this is uh, just a very conflicted man, to say the least, Saul. Um, he goes from, you know, rage to weeping. And... Um, and it's really a commentary on a sad life. And unfortunately, you know, he's not going to stay so um, kind to David. Uh, the, fli- the, the switch flips again, and uh, he will still pursue David later. But for the moment, there's like uh, some kind of a truce here. And David goes on his way, and Saul goes on his way. Now, chapter 25, verse 1, is a sad note because it says, Then Samuel died. This is the prophet Samuel. He died. And the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So this is the end of of Samuel here. And this is the end of an era because Samuel is the last of the judges. And things will transition now to prophets and kings. And and God will use the prophets to speak to the kings. Uh, Ultimately, God desired to be king of Israel, but... Because the people wanted a king like the foreign nations around them, that's why God gave them Saul. God's going to give them David, um, and there will be a succession of kings. There's going to be civil war in the days following Solomon, and the kingdom's going to get divided. But this is the end of an era with, with Samuel's passing. Samuel was a very unique man in the Bible in that um, he had a very unique and tender relationship with the Lord his God. Uh, in fact, in uh, Jeremiah 15, verse 1, the prophet Jeremiah records the words of the Lord when the Lord was upset with Israel because of their disobedience as a nation. And God said through Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 1, he said, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable towards this people. It just, you know, for the moment, God's anger burned against the Israelites, as happened at different times in history, and, and yet God invokes the name of Moses and Samuel. That's how special Samuel was, in addition to Moses, to the heart of God. Uh, Samuel just had a special place in God's heart. In Psalm 99, verse 6, it says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests, God's priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. And so Samuel is noted in the Bible. He ends up also in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. He's mentioned as uh, one of those heroes of the hall of faith. And so Samuel um, was a very righteous man who walked with the Lord and the Lord took him home now. So this is the end of an era. This is the end of the life of Samuel, the prophet and, and the last judge of Israel. We'll keep reading verse two. It says, now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. 
and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, for those of you, again, who have gone with me to Israel, this is not the same Carmel up in the north where Elijah had his showdown with the prophets of Baal. This is a, another town by the same name, Carmel, but this is down further south near the Dead Sea in the wilderness of Maon. And there's this man we are introduced to here. Verse 3 says, the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. Uh, and so we are introduced to this couple, uh, husband and wife. Nabal is described here as um, a very rich man. It says in, in verse 2, with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. I mean, in that day, if you had a dozen sheep and a dozen goats, you were well off. But to have 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, you're really well off. So he's very wealthy. And uh, he's married to a woman named Abigail. Her name, uh, his name, by the way, Nabal means foolishness. Okay? Fool or foolishness in the Hebrew. Nabal, which is, you know, it's like, what were the parents thinking? You know, what were the parents thinking? You know, the, looking at that kid going, you know, what a fool looking child that is. So we're going to call him that. All right. So they call him Nabal, fool, foolishness. His wife, his wife's name, Abigail, is from Abba, father, and Gial, meaning joy. So her name means father of joy, which probably indicates that that dad had like a string of sons and finally got the daughter. So the father of joy is just like, finally got the daughter. So she's Abigail. And look at this. And it says about her that she was a woman of good understanding. Some translations say she's intelligent. Okay, so she's smart. And on top of being smart, and she's beautiful. And beautiful in appearance. But the man, but Nabal, was harsh and evil in his doings. And he was of the house of Caleb. So you get this picture of a couple here where, you know, very wealthy lifestyle. This guy, you know, very wealthy. Um, but mean, you know, just you know, mean cuss, and and yet he's got this beautiful, intelligent wife. Okay, I don't know. I don't know how it is, you know, that these that these, you know, mean, ugly. Doesn't say he's ugly, but you know, let's go with it. This mean, ugly-looking guy who's got a lot of money ends up with beautiful, smart women. You know, you can see it all over Hollywood today. It's like, do you ever look at your your TVs and go, how did? How did that guy get that girl? How did he get that woman? Like, it's amazing sometimes how these pitiful men, you know, end up with these beautiful women. But anyway, so I digress. So here they are. It's just, I'm working through it. It's okay. But it's just like, what? It's almost like, what a waste. But anyway, I'm talking out loud. I shouldn't be talking out loud. But it's, but here, but so she's beautiful and she's smart. And this guy is evil and harsh, evil and harsh. And it says he was at the house of Caleb. And most Bible commentaries don't know if that is a a good thing, that he's like a descendant of Caleb, or if it is a commentary on his nature, because Caleb in Hebrew means dog. Like like that describes him. And so commentators are conflicted. It's like, it's probably a statement that just means this guy's like a dog. He's just, he's evil, he's harsh, but he's got a lot of money and he's married to a beautiful, smart woman. Well, verse four. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent 10 young men and David said to the young man, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, shalom, peace to your house and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us and we did not hurt them. Nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. 
Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. Okay, let me break this down. What David is doing here is he's letting us know that he and his ragtag army of 600 soldiers or so provided protection for Nabal's flock and Nabal's shepherds when they were out in the wilderness. And uh, David did it, you know, free of charge. He's not looking to get compensated for anything. But when Nabal goes to shear his sheep, they would shear sheep at the same time of the harvest. And so this was a time of celebration. And it was very customary at a time of the harvest for you to be generous with, with family and friends. Now, considering this guy is a wealthy guy, very rich, it says, It's not an unheard of thing for David to send messengers from his army to go to Nabal and say, listen, it's it's feast time, you're shearing your sheep, and we did provide protection for your shepherds and your flock so that no animal or or no bandits would come to steal from your flock. Is there anything, he he doesn't put a price on it, he's not like giving him an invoice, but he just says, is there anything you might be able to do for us? Because remember, David's on the run, and where are they going to get their next meal, and how are they going to provide for themselves? And so he sees this as a win-win. It's like, you know, we protected your 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and your shepherds. Is there anything possible you can do at the feast time when it's customary to be generous with friends and neighbors? That's all he's asking. Well, look at the next verse, verse 9. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. And then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays, now now today's, who, who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? Oh, he's living up to his foolish name, isn't he? I mean, he's a mean cuss, just like like the Bible says here. He's evil, he's mean, he's harsh. And so he says, like, who's this David, the son of Jesse? Now, it's not like he doesn't know, because David's name and his fame has spread throughout all of Israel because he killed Goliath. So everybody knows who David is. He's saying this to be smart. He's like, who's David anyway? I don't really care. Who's this this Jesse kid? You know, I don't really care. But I want you to notice that this wealthy guy basically tries to take credit for everything that he has. Look at the number of times that the pronoun my is used there in verse 11. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So this is another important principle for us. We need to learn from the foolish man's foolishness. Rich or poor, plenty or little, all that we have is on loan from God and he expects us to use it for his glory. We can't go around saying my house, my car, my money, I mean, I know what we mean by that, but we have to be careful because we have to acknowledge that even the skill that we have to earn a living is from the Lord. And everything we have is from the Lord. It's all his. It's on loan to us. We get to use it and God blesses us with it. But he wants us to use material things so that material things do not use us. And he wants us to use those material things for his glory. 
And Nabal was a, he was an Israelite. He was a man who'd been blessed by God, but instead of giving God the glory and being generous, because it was within his means to do it, and James 4 verse 17 says, for him who knows to do good and doesn't do it is sin. I mean, this guy is not really doing what would honor God. He has the opportunity to bless David and to bless his men for an, an act of kindness that they did in watching over his sheep and his shepherd. And instead, this guy doubles down and he's like, this is my stuff and I'm not going to share it with anybody, least of which this David character. Well, it's not going to go good for Nabal. Verse 12, so David's young men turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told him all these words. And then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. And so every man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. Okay, now, this is not good, all right? I know he's ticked off. Uh, I probably would be too, but... um, Cooler heads should prevail here. What is interesting to note is that in the previous chapter, when David had the opportunity to kill the man who's been killing, trying to kill him, he showed great restraint. Now he's got this foolish farmer who has said some offensive things, and now he's ready to just go slaughter him. It's just like, David, what happened to the restraint you had in chapter 24? How about a little bit of that restraint now? I mean, if, if, if there was any time that you, that you should really be thinking about killing somebody, it was probably the guy who's trying to kill you. This is just a foolish farmer living up to his name. Like, why are you going to go all ballistic on this guy? Calm down. Okay, so this is another principle for us. This is a good verse. It's out of Proverbs 19.11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Some translations say it is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. Like, like we, we can't be so hot-tempered that, you know, there's going to be some things that people say and do and, like, like chill. Like, don't, don't go off on them. And, and David is, is missing an opportunity here to show restraint. And, you know, he didn't have the Proverbs yet because his son would write the Proverbs by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But, but you know, we have them, so we can, we can be reminded of Proverbs 19.11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. And his glory is to overlook a transgression. Well, it says in, in verse 14, now one of the young men, this is one of the young men who worked for Nabal, not one of David's. One of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us and we were not hurt. Nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when, when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and day, all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. In other words, he's saying, listen, they did protect us. He says in verse 17, now therefore know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Okay, so this, you know, one of the young men here, whoever this is, this is smart. You're going to go to the wife and help the wife to kind of intervene here in this mess. And so uh, the next verse, verse 18, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, 
five seas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Listen, if, if you have all that in your kitchen already prepared, you are really wealthy. And so here she is, and she's, but she's smart, remember. She's smart, so she's like, I, I got to intervene here, or my husband's going to get killed. So she loaded up donkeys with food, verse 19, and she said to her servants, go on before me, see, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Okay? Now, sometimes smart, sometimes not smart, ladies. Like, don't hide everything from your husbands. But maybe, you know, in this case, she's like, don't want to get him riled up. Uh, I'm just going to go ba- be a peacemaker and probably save his life in the process. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from 1 Samuel again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in 1 Samuel and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.